0: God bless you. If you have your Bibles, we're in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're in our second of our series, What is God Like? And last time we met together, we asked that question, what is God like? And in order to know what God is like, the first and most important part of all of this is that you have to have a relationship with him. Listen, I've been married for 35 years. In the order in, is that right? 34 and a half years, I was told. In order for you to have a relationship with someone you, and to know what they're like, you have to have a relationship, right? If you want to know what someone is like, you have to have a relationship with them. I remember when I went to, uh, when I played football in high school, I, was, I went to Texas A&M, and I was walking around with a coach, and the coach said, hey, listen, if you uh, meet a girl that you like uh, on campus... You better ask her out right that minute because you may never see her again. There's 55,000 other students on this campus, right? And so if I wanted to know what she's like, I better stop right then and there and begin my relationship. Well, God is the same way. If you really want to know what God is like, you have to have a relationship with him. And what does it mean to have a relationship with God? What it means is that you have trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone as your Savior. That you have put your faith and trust in Jesus and no one or nothing else. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And see what happens in the world around us, in our culture, we're trying to find all kinds of ways to God. We're trying to find ways through God with mediums. We're trying to find ways to God through all these different things. And Jesus said, I am the only way. And if you have not put your faith and trust in him alone, let me tell you, you'll never know what God is like. And see, within our series, What Is God Like?, that's what our purpose is, is what we're wanting to do, is we want to understand what scripture says about God. We don't care what the culture says. We don't care what popular ideas there are about God. What we want to know is who is God in the Bible? And when you come to Genesis chapter 1, we can learn a lot about God. How many of you heard the phrase that you I've learned everything I need to know in kindergarten, right? Well, you can learn so much about God just in Genesis chapter 1. And what we need to do is what we need to do is we need to learn the truth of what scripture says about who God is and what he is like in their book Uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Norman Geisler and Frank Turek wrote, Truth is discovered, not invented. It exists independent of anyone's knowledge of it. And then they give the example. Gravity existed prior to Newton, right? Gravity's always been here. Truth is transcultural. If something is true, it is true for all people in all places at all times. Two plus two equals four for everyone Everywhere, at every time, yes? Truth is unchanging, even though our beliefs about truth change. When we began to believe the earth was round instead of flat, the truth about the earth didn't change. Only our belief about the earth changed. So when we come to try to understand and ascertain what God is like, we are simply trying to discover the truth of Scripture. That's what we want to do. And I think the very first verse of the very... First book in the very first chapter of the Bible tells us much about God. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. Now, you don't you look at that and you think, "Well, what's the big deal?" There's not a whole lot there, you might think. Well, let me tell you the first thing that I see here, it says, "In the beginning, God." The Bible just assumes that there is a God. The Bible, nowhere in your Bible, and I I challenge you, go home and read your Bible cover to cover this week and find one place in your Bible that tries to prove the existence of God. It is not in there. The Bible just assumes that there is a God. And we as believers, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ alone, then we too, if we trust God's holy word, we can assume there is a God. We, you know, what or who God is may be contested, but the reality of God is never disputed or even questioned or apologized for within the Bible. The Bible assumes that there is a God. So in the beginning, God created. Now think about that word, God created. The universe includes everything. He he created time, he created space, he created matter, he created energy. He created everything, everything that is, he created. Everything that you can think of, he created. There are only three possibilities, or three explanations for anything that exists. Did you realize that? There's only three reasons why anything exists, or three possibilities why anything exists. Number one, it is self-created. You think about the universe. Is the universe self-created? Even if there was a big bang and boom, it happened. There was something outside of itself in order to make it happen. Yes. So, uh, so the universe is not self-created. Number two, it is eternal. We understand that the universe is not eternal. Uh, I mean, you can go and look that there was a absolute beginning even scientists believe that that there was a beginning somewhere and if we look at the way the world is going and it's winding down we understand that there will be an end to it number three it is created by something that is eternal this of course is god god created um Albert Einstein's theory of general relativity states that all time, space, and matter had a definite simultaneous beginning. What has a beginning then has to have a cause. This is the law of causality. God is the cause of all things. God is the cause of the universe. God is the one that best And most easily explains the ultimate cause. And with that said, one of the attributes of God is his self-existence. When we're talking about God and we're looking in his scripture, and the scripture itself says that there is a God, but doesn't try to prove there is a God, doesn't try to explain how God got here. God is self-existent. He is the great cause. And that's one of the attributes of God. The culture war has been around for centuries. We've been talking about that for for months, really. And this culture war that we live in, did you know it didn't start in the last 5 or 10 or 20 years? It started in the 1700s and 1800s. That's when the culture war started. You can go all the way back to the Enlightenment period. And those in the Enlightenment period, it was this philosophical movement that centered around this idea that reason is the primary source. What they thought is, if we can get you off of God, if God is not the creator, if we can prove to you that there is another cause other than God, then we can get you away from Christianity. And boy, have they done a good job. I mean, they are winning, and we, people of the church, we are losing See, this this philosophical idea of, well, what is authority? And where does that authority come from? And it it advocated such ideas as liberty, uh, progress, tolerance, separation of church and state. And none of that stuff is bad in and of itself. But when we start trying to replace God with these things, we have lost. And that's what has been happening for centuries in our culture Scholars would say we can't explain the universe and life and its origin without an appeal to transcendent deity, but now we can. And you look at the way science works today. There is no room for God in science books. These enlightened people knew if they could get the culture to question how the world and everything in it was created, they could convince the world that God doesn't exist. And boy, have they did a good job. Just look at Darwinism. I mean, that played out, and we could see exactly what was going on in all of that. But as the first four words of Scripture tell us, that in the beginning, God. He has no beginning. He is the cause. I'm going to teach you a new word today. The word is the ciety. Have anybody ever heard of that word, a ciety, before? It's up on the screen behind me. The word aseity, it is existence originating from and having no source other than itself. Think of something that is aseity, nothing, only God. This definition only applies to him. God is the only one. He is different from everything else in existence. God originated from no source but himself. He is self-existent. You've heard the story of God and Satan, Right? They're up in they're they're in the Garden of Eden and they're talking and Satan and God they're walking around and God's showing him all of his handiwork and and uh, God says hey look at these beautiful flowers and trees and say yeah yeah anything you do God I can do better you know Satan the original sandwich, pride. Yeah, whatever you can do, God, I can do better. I, you made these beautiful flowers, I can make beautiful flowers. I, you made uh, these trees, I can make trees. And God said, okay, okay, I understand. Why don't we make man? So God bends down, he scoops up some earth, he forms it, he breathes life into it, and then we have a soul of a living man. And Satan says, "That's no problem. I can do the same thing." So he gets down and he gets the dirt and he begins to form a man. And God goes, "Go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait! You got to get your own dirt." See, Satan thinks that he can create, but he is not the creator. Uh, Satan cannot be a creator because he is a created being. And anything that God has created, anything that God has done good, anything that God uh, does that makes it right, all Satan can do is take what God has already done and pervert it. That's what Satan's MO is. And that's what he's done throughout all of history. God alone exists by his own power. No one else's power. No one made him or caused him, he exists in and of himself. This is the quality that nothing else, no one else, no no being supernatural or natural can claim, only God. He is self-existent. Satan, people, demons, angels, your house, your car, the trees, the sun, all of those things had a cause. Only God is the one with no cause. He is the creator of all things. He is the one that is self-existent. Now this is important, because when we talk about knowing what God is like, we have to understand that He exists outside of all creation. And at the same time, He has put himself into creation. And we see that through His Son Jesus Christ. So in order to know what God is like, we must be in a, what, what? We must be in a relationship with Him. We have to know Him. We have to trust Him. We can understand that He is self-existent, but at the same time, He put Himself in this world so that we could know Him. And that brings us to another uh, idea or attribute of God is His self-revelation. There's a self-revelation of God. While the Bible never tries to prove God, that, that God exists, there is this self Revelation of God. In the, the Bible, while it teaches us much about God, there are things about God that we will never understand. Do you realize that? I don't think, even when we get to heaven, there are going to be things about God that we won't even, we're going to have perfect everything, but I think, listen, do you really want to be able to understand God completely? He would no longer be God, would he? You know, the the Bible says that God is infinite and we are finite. The Bible says that he dwells in unapproachable light, uh, that his greatness that no one can fathom. And Isaiah asked the question, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? Is there anything that compares with God? Nothing. Nothing on this earth, nothing in this universe, nothing is as great Nothing is as good, nothing is as kind, nothing is as knowledgeable, nothing is as sovereign, nothing is, and you can put any adjective on there that you want that is a good adjective, God is, he is outside of everything, he himself is greater, he transcends it all, and nothing compares to him. And so when it comes to the self-revelation of God, and God begins to reveal himself with this finite being, this infinite being trying to reveal himself to this finite being, there are going to be things that we just can't understand. And one of those things is the plurality of the Godhead. What? you believe there's multiple gods? No. But even in Genesis, from the very beginning, we understand that there is a godhead that there is a plurality within the godhead there is three persons with one essence look at genesis chapter 1 look in verse 26 then god said let us make man in our own image after our likeness <clears throat> and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So remember, God is self existent, and the Bible assumes God exists. Now in Genesis one twenty six in Genesis 3.22, and Genesis 11, and several other places within the Old Testament, we come to a name for God. And it is the plural noun in Hebrew, and the noun is Elohim. And it's in the plural. And in every case in Genesis chapter 1, when you see that word Elohim, it is in the plural form. And in this particular place, it has a plural a pronoun with it, us. So God says, let us make man in our image. So what does that tell us? It tells us if if the name here of God is Elohim, and it's in the plural, and the pronouns, us and our, are plural, it means that there is plurality within the Godhead, you with me? It doesn't make a case for the Trinity because having a plurality, when you say us and our, it just means at least two, right? So we see at least two persons within the Godhead right here at the very beginning. So this brings up the subject then of the Trinity, right? First of all, you understand the word Trinity is not found in your Bible. And just like the self-existence of God, that the Bible assumes that there is a God, the Bible does not explicitly explain what the Trinity is or who the Trinity is. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. It, it, it just implies it, and we just understand it. And we can look back at our forefathers. We can look at Matthew and John and Peter and all of those guys, and we can understand that they believed in one God. That's what they were taught all of their lives. Hero O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and that's what they believed. But within that, they also believed in the plurality of the Godhead. And while they may not have used the word trinity, they understood God as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons. God exists as three persons with one essence. And here in Genesis, I've already mentioned, it says, let us make man in our image, alluding to the fact that there are multiple persons involved in the creation of man. Look back in verse 1. In verse 1 it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, we understand, again, the plural Elohim is used for God right here. But there is a singular verb, and that singular verb is created. So what does that mean? It means that the Elohim, who is at least plural, with at least two persons within the Godhead, has now singularly created. It was the one true God that created. There was not a committee. There was not a task force. This one God with the plurality within the Godhead created. He is the sole creator. Nothing helped him. You with me? I know this is heavy, right? You should have been me trying to figure all this out this week. So here, Elohim, plural, is the soul, the only agent of creation. So we see that here in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now, I've got a bunch of verses up on the screen for you. Look at verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, and 26. And what do all of those say? And God said, here we see God's word and his spirit in creation process. And God said, let there be. And God said, let there be. His word spoke it and it came into being. Everybody with me? Now, how do we get to the Trinity? How do we understand that there there is a plurality from the very beginning of the Godhead? And how do we then get to this doctrine of the Trinity? Take your Bibles and turn to Gospel of John, John chapter 1. And you will see very similar language, almost verbatim language in some instances. So you're in John chapter 1, and it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning." Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now, although Genesis 1 doesn't give us all of the... Spe- wow, what an incredible... The word, thing. God said, God spoke the word. The Genesis doesn't give us the, the specifics. But when we go over to the New Testament and we see in John's gospel, he gives us specifics about the word, doesn't he? And he says the Word is God, and the Word was God, and that God, the Word was right there at the very beginning of all times. So if you take the most logical and the most literal reading of Genesis 1 and John 1, guess what we discover? The Trinity. Isn't that awesome? God is good, isn't he? And there are many Old Testament passages that talk about the Trinity. Deuteronomy 6-4, Psalm 137 and 8, Zechariah 2, Isaiah 48. I could go on and on with a number of passages in the Old Testament. And just as many, if not more, passages in the New Testament. Speak of God as a Trinity, a plural God. In the three Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew chapter 3, Luke chapter 1, and in Mark chapter 1, we see the baptism of Jesus. And here we see all three persons of the Trinity at one time. We see God the Son in the water. We see, we hear God the Father from heaven. And we see God the Spirit coming down like a dove. And in Matthew chapter 28 uh, verses 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And how, what gives Jesus the power or authority to all say all of that? Look in verse 18. It says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who has that kind of power to give that kind of authority? Only God, the self-existent one. So we can see uh, we can see the Trinity in the epistles. We can see the Trinity in the Gospels. We can see Trinity in the Revelation. We can see the Trinity in Hebrews. We can see the Trinity throughout the scripture. And Luke writes in Acts chapter 1, And while staying with them, he, that is Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So again, we see all three persons of the Trinity, and it's all confirmed by Jesus himself. So I think it's safe to say, while the Bible doesn't explicitly teach or explain the Trinity, our first brothers and sisters, those first apostles and disciples, certainly understood God in a plural form, in plurality, that there was a Godhead with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is heavy stuff. So you're going, all right, I understand that there is the doctrine of the Trinity. I believe in the Trinity. I believe there's a God, the Father, God, the Son, God, and the Holy Spirit. Why don't you give me an analogy? Why don't you show me how it all works? Well, I can't. Maybe this video will help us. Let's watch.
1: Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning. And we're hearing about all of this for the first time. So try to keep it simple. Okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick.
2: Sure. There are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God.
1: Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick.
2: Not picking up what you're laying down here,
1: Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick?
2: Sure. uh, The Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms, liquid and ice and vapor.
1: That's mortalism, Patrick! What? Mortalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noatus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! <laughs> Uh, Okay, Uh,
2: then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star, and the light, and the heat.
1: Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism. Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst,
2: Patrick. All right, sorry. The Trinity is like uh, this three-leaf clover here.
1: I'm gonna stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism, a heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine.
2: And who confesses the heresy of partialism?
1: The first season of a cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously.
2: Uh, I've never heard of Voltron.
1: Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, I get with the program, Patrick. I mean really, Patrick. I'm going to stab you in the face, Patrick. Okay, that was probably
2: all right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer.
1: Moralism again.
2: All right, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Partialism
1: revisited.
2: Fine, the Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is. One, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty.
1: Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. Now let's all put on some giant green foam hats, get riotously drunk, and vomit in the Chicago River to celebrate our conversion.
0: <laughs> all right. They talked pretty fast, didn't they? Did y'all get all of that? Let me help you out, okay? Number one, how many of you have heard of different analogies to try to explain the Trinity? You've probably heard of the egg or the apple or the the husband, uh, father, son. All of these analogies fall short. And the reason they fall short is because we do serve and love an infinite God, not a finite God. So nothing that we can do can ever explain him. But the first analogy that they talked about there was modalism. And they use the analogy of water, H2O. Water can be liquid, it can be a gas, and it can be solid, right? If you freeze it as ice, it's solid. And it makes, you think, a pretty good analogy that God is like water because he exists and It can be three different states. But the problem is, is that then you're putting God into only one mode at a time. He can only be God the Father at one time, God the Son at one time, and God the Holy Spirit at one time. And so modalism teaches that God the Father showed himself in the Old Testament, God the Son showed himself in the Gospels, and God the Holy Spirit showed himself in Acts going forward all the way up to today but we understand that that can't be true because that way they are co-equal co-eternal and that there is a unity within the godhead and so god doesn't show up in different modes Makes sense so modalism doesn't work so your analogy of water ice or liquid ice and um, gas doesn't work for god because it teaches that god can only show himself in one form at a time everybody with me the next one they talked about was Arianism. Now, Arianism was is still pretty popular today. It's really popular with our Jehovah Witnesses friends. And so if you ever talk to a Jehovah Witness and they talk to you about the Trinity, here's what they believe about the Trinity, that the Trinity, they believe in Arianism, that God, just like the analogy that they use, that God is the Son, S-U-M, S-U-N, not S-U-N. S-U-N, that's basically a star. And what does a star do? It gives off light and it gives off heat, right? But both the light and the heat are created by the star. And so Arianism teaches that God is the S-U-N, the star, and he created Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. But we understand that they are not created. Again, they are co-eternal and co-equal in all things. And if you remember what we talked about last week in Colossians chapter 2, it says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, meaning that he cannot be created because all the fullness of deity is in him. So Arianism doesn't work. The next one, more partialism or tritheism. It's basically the same thing. Partialism teaches that of the three-leaf clover. If you take three-leaf clover and you say, one leaf of the clover is God the Father, another leaf is God the Son, another leaf is God the Holy Spirit, and each of them are 100% God. So far, so good but they are not 100% of God. Because if I tear off one of the leaves of the clover, now I only have two thirds of God, not all uh, 100% of God. And so tritheism or partialism teaches that in order for there to be 100% of God that all three have to be together at one time and if you take one of them away, you've taken away one third of the Godhead. And again, we know that that doesn't happen. Uh, The Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son don't make one-third of God each. They are 100% God all of the time, 100% of the time. Does that make sense? Does that help a little bit? So I've heard well-intentioned people try to give these analogies about the Trinity, and the fact of the matter is there are some things on this earth that we just will never understand. And that's okay, isn't it? Just like the Bible assumes that God exists, there are some things that the Bible teaches that we must take by faith, period. And this is one of those things. But it's not just concerning the Trinity, We must take by faith what scripture says about God. That he is self-existent. That he has a self-revelation and part of that revelation is he has revealed himself in this Godhead, this trinity that we may never understand. But even more important, he revealed himself in Jesus Christ. God the creator, God the sustainer, the God that created anything and everything that you could ever think of, that God who is transcendent, above, bigger than all of creation, created you and he created me for a relationship. See, and I know that there are some people in this room even right now. Some people listening online even right now. Well, I'm going to trust in God once he answers all of my questions. I'll put my faith in Jesus once I, I figure out all of the other religions are fake or false. Uh, I'll, I'll put my faith in God when the, you know, when the Bible, when God comes and sits down on my bed and talks to me tonight, you know? And let me just there are some things that we must take by faith. The Bible tells us this by faith that we're saved, but our faith is not in just some mystical creature. Our faith isn't just in 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 some God that some guy has made up. Our faith is not in some little fairy land. Our faith is in God who has revealed himself to us in multiple ways throughout your life. He is a God that has revealed himself through scripture. And it's by faith that we trust in that God because there are some things that we will never understand about that God. And listen, yeah, I don't know about you, but if I could understand everything there is to understand about God, then I would not need God because I could be myself God. Right? He is bigger. He is greater. He is far more knowledgeable. Listen to what Isaiah 55 says. See, if if we could truly comprehend God then even his word would not be true anymore. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There are some things we just won't get on this earth. but there's something that I can tell you right now that even online, if you're listening, or even sitting here in this service, there is a God who is real, and he reveals himself through God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone right now. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying something right now to you to come and give your life to Jesus. You've never been in a relationship with Him. You've never put your faith and trust in Him. You keep putting it off. You keep looking for excuses. You keep looking for better alternatives. And in all of your research, you find none. There is only one answer, and His name is Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him today. If you want to know what God is like, it starts with a relationship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love, for your goodness, your mercy, and thank you for your word that shows us a loving, giving God. In his name we pray.